Welcome to the State of Sound podcast, produced by the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. A companion series to the blockbuster exhibit, The State of Sound, a world of music from Illinois. Now playing at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. State of Sound recording studio here at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum in Springfield, Illinois. And we have the esteemed guests, John Langford and John Szymanski. Thanks for coming down to uh, Springfield. It's an absolute pleasure. Yes. It's a, the exhibition's blown my mind already. Well, let's I start about really that. Had a look. I haven't had a look really yet, but it's beautiful. It's really, really good. Well, talk about your involvement in the uh, exhibition, Mekons, Waco Brothers, and Sundowners, for people who may not, who are listening, may not know about it. Um, well, I can't really claim the <laughs> Sundowners, but uh, the Sundowners were a very important band for me. Uh, when I first came to Chicago, we came here looking for kind of genuine honky-tonk thrills as the Mekons, a bunch of art students from the north of England obsessed with country and western music. And when we got to America, we were sad to find that basically most of it had gone and it had been replaced by... Uh, new country and sort of suburban rock with a cowboy hat on it and you couldn't really find any of those places anymore we looked all over the country I was in Nashville and I was you know they were kind of tumbleweeds blowing across lower broad in Nashville in the 80s the Grand Ole Opry had moved out to the suburbs it, the Ryman was boarded up it was just yeah. it was heartbreaking and I met Johnny Cash around that time and he told me he'd been fired by his record label and he didn't get played on country music radio anymore he actually said I don't get played on country radio George Jones doesn't get played on country radio Merle Haggard we were like how can this possibly be it's insane and uh, then some one night after a gig at the Cubby Bear up at a ballpark in Wrigleyville the Mekons who had been shopping that day at Alcala's on Chicago Avenue and were kitted up with cowboy hats and shirts and belt buckles and boots and everything brand new like English punk rockers tend to do. Uh, you know, I wish I thought Alcala's was fantastic because it was a kind of gateway into into this kind of cool world of like, you know, you have this, it's a Mexican store really, but there was mostly... He was the nudie of Chicago. <laughs> yeah, but mostly Alcala's, it was like mostly... You know, mostly black people and Mexican people were in there buying stuff, and it was kind of like, oh, yeah, you want to become an American? You can, you can be American by buying this shirt, and it's like it's a cool civilian uniform, and it fitted us perfectly. But that night we wandered into the Double R Ranch or the R and R Ranch down by the Greyhound bus station. Some people took us down there to see the Sundowners. I guess it was. We'd finished playing, so it was probably about two in the morning, and these three guys had been up there all night, probably some from about eight o'clock, and I think they kept playing till five in the morning or something ridiculous. And they saw us come in, and they couldn't, they couldn't believe it because we were like, "Looks like we got a band here," and we we're going like, "Oh yeah," and they said, "Oh we're," and then they, they stopped playing and they just talked to us for about ten minutes, and they're going, "Look, are you the steel guitar player?" So now we don't have a steel guitar player. I play guitar. They go, "Oh well, good. When you, what are you going to play?" And we go, we're not going to play anything. <laughs> we're not coming up there. You've got to be joking. Because we was like, you know, seen from the Blues Brothers, we thought we'll get up and get bottled off. And But people were so drunk in there uh, that they really didn't mind. And the, I could tell the band, two of the band, Kurt and Bob, were desperate to get off the stage so they could go to the bar and have a cocktail. So we went up and Don Walls, the guitar player, didn't get up. And he never got off the stage any time I ever went 
to the Sundowners Ranch he always wanted to play. And I remember we got him and said, well, we do this Hank Williams song. And he's gone, just play it. Well, it's a lost highway, but I think when we, he goes to the five, but I think we go to the four and he's gone, just play it, just play it. And we, so we murdered this Hank Williams song. It was absolutely awful. There's a great bit in the Mekons um, documentary film where Joan Delaney, his wife, is interviewed. And she said, uh, he came on one night and he said, you never believe what blew in tonight. She said, what was it? Oh, a bunch of punk rockers from England came in, dressed as cowboys. <laughs> she said, did you get them up on stage? Yep, of course we did. Were they any good? Nope. <laughs> but they're willing to learn. That's what he said to her. Yeah. Yeah. And it was funny, and we we because I said to him, oh, "Next time I come back, I'm going to know some songs. I'm going to get out with you guys and play some songs." But the crowd didn't mind at all. We did about three songs with them. The audience didn't care. They were all so drunk. So that that hit home with you. That was an authenticity. You were well. You it was just like for. they were the real thing, yeah. and they were the real deal. But also, there was another level to it, which I found a lay was that they had loads of opportunities to sort of branch out and go somewhere else. But their friendship, the three of them. It was kind of like something that was kind of rang a bell with what it was like being in the Mekons. It was like, it was a social grouping more than it was like a commercial enterprise, you know? They were just happy together. And I think Jethro Burns came and tried to take Kurt Delaney on the road with him, and he wouldn't leave. Yeah, he, wouldn't, right. he wouldn't go because he just wanted to, those were, and Joan, Joan, he said to me, you know, like, when they weren't at the club playing, they were playing golf together. And when they weren't playing golf together, they were on the phone. They used to sit around at home and phone each other in the afternoon when they didn't see each other. Yeah. They were just three guys that were just totally into each other. You know? I think one thing, and this is just me, my observations, but that maybe you picked up and maybe you've always been this way, but these guys, the Sundowners, had no musical barriers. I mean, I was looking at some of the stuff I had written about before. They were doing Bobby Darren songs, and Fats Domino came in there one wow. night, and they played with Fats Domino. Yeah, Billy there's, there's a fantastic picture of them with, with yeah, Fats Domino. They just, it, no, there's it, a, on the album that John Rice, uh, our mate, who was actually a kind of deputy sundowner, a deputy Mekong, sure. doing all sorts of th things over the years, but he went and um, when uh, Bob Boyd died, uh, he went, and Kurt was, had already died, and Don had had a stroke. Uh, Bob's wife called him and said, we've got a garage full of stuff here. It's all going to go in the dumpster unless you come out and get it. And he went and got 600 hours of tapes sure, yeah. they'd made. And we put an album together for Bloodshot. Well, he put it together, but I was sort of pulled some strings to <laughs> get it put out. I did the cover painting. And uh, they do something by the Beatles on that. Yeah, oh, wow. and they do yeah. it like a western swing. It's like something in the way she moves, and it's like Bob Will's doing the Beatles. Yeah, you know, it's it's absolutely brilliant. Talk no, no, no musical barriers and yeah. no no prejudices about anything. They loved. That's they just loved playing. That's what's so important today. Is music today is so compartment and compartments and stuff. And these yeah, guys, yeah. these guys and you guys are just across the board. Yeah. Well, you know, this. I think music should be breaking down barriers, not building up. Yeah. Building up. You know, you put, put people in genres and say this and that and the other. It's like it's all. Most of my experiences with musicians all over the world have been like. You can play instantly. You can play music together. I mean, I play with like Aboriginal guys in Australia. You know, it's like you just pick up a guitar and you play. You're in. You know, the politician people don't like it so much, but the the musicians have a way of. Talk about them coming up, uh, or since we're doing this little podcast thing, they came up to be on the barn dance. I mean, some people don't realize that. And I, I was looking at. Uh, at 
one of the stories when um, when uh, I wrote when uh, that Bloodshot uh, CD came out, and then Kurt was hired as a, Kurt Delaney was hired as a staff musician for Don McNeil's Breakfast Club. He he got a salary of two hundred and four dollars a week. But, Whoa, I mean, that's were, a lot of money in those yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. But um, so talk about them wanting to come up to, to be on radio and stuff. I, I mean, I don't really know the details of it. They just like Chicago was the place to be. For them at that point, it wasn't Nashville. If it went, I guess they came up in the fifties and sixties, and they but band dance ran till when the mid mid sixties, yeah. or early seventies. Yeah, right. You know, and form. they just wanted to be. I mean, I, met, I through John Rice as well. I met Johnny Frigo, who was yeah. he was Italian uh, violin player, didn't know anything about country music, and. He ended up musical director of the WLS band dance. <laughs> he was fantastic. But I said to him, "What was the scene like? You know, then back then, and was it like, you know, with the what were the what sort of did you used to go out afterwards and go to the country clubs?" And he went to the country clubs. Oh yeah, I played the Bryn Mawr Country Club. I played. <laughs> no, I don't mean those country clubs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, but uh, there was a scene. There was lots and lots of bars. I mean, Mr. Do you remember Mr. Ash? Yeah, yeah, the magician guy. The magician. Yeah, he came yeah. from Armenia, and he, yeah. you know, via London, he turned up here from Armenia with a civil engineering degree, but basically wanting to be a rock and roller, and he wanted to play rock and roll. He loved uh, Elvis and Cliff Richard and people like that. And he turns up in Chicago, and they're like, "No, nah, it's not rock and roll. You want to play honky tonk." So he had to go away, and he like went to all the clubs on Randolph Street, I think. He said, and where they were, sure. but he would go to all these clubs that had honky-tonk every night. And he goes in there, and he just picks up all these songs, and his name's, I forget I forget what his first name was, Ash Baborian. So his name was Ash something or other Baborian. So he changed his name to Country Ash Ryan. <laughs> Figuring in Chicago, if you had Ryan on the end of your name, you're probably more likely to get gigs. <laughs> and he would say one night, he said, what? What the hell? This is the band? He said, yeah. He said, I don't know. I know Mexican. Said, I'm not Mexican. I'm, I'm from Armenia. <laughs> <laughs> but he was fantastic, Mr. Ash. And he, you know, the same experience that, you know, suddenly that was the music that in the, probably on the north side of Chicago in the club scene, everyone was playing. It was honky-tonk, you know. Yeah. Um, talk about... Um couple of the items you graciously loaned uh, the museum, especially the artwork there of the of the three guys. Well, I did some paintings for the cover. Uh, yeah. I wanted to paint, but I, I did the paintings for my basically because I wanted to paint those guys. I love, you know, I miss them. They're all they're all deceased now, and it's uh, they were just really warm and lovely to me. And I never, you know, I could never really quite tell what they thought of us. But then we'd find out that you know, I'd find out from John Rice and other people that you know they used to talk about us and we get they'd come and Bob would come and sing on projects of mine one time he came down and you know he's this guy he's probably about 70 and Bob Boyd Bob Boyd turns up at a studio to sing uh, sing a song on, uh, on one of the executioners last oh no I don't know he sang on the uh, Bob Wills record we made it's a Bob Wills tribute record but he came down the studio and he put a nose ring in Did and he really? ruffled his hair up <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he walks in with a nose ring and he goes, just thought I'd try and fit in, John. <laughs> he dressed, dressed as a punk. <laughs> we did a thing at the MCA with the Mekons with Kathy Acker once called Pussy King of the Pirates. And Bob called John Rice and I said, how do we get tickets for this? This sounds pretty good. <laughs> I want to go and see this Pussy King of the Pirates thing. <laughs> It was the movie that played on Randolph Street back in the day. 
but no, they were game. They were just funny and love. They were lovely. They played my wedding, so you know. Yeah, that's right. And did. I never knew if they were coming. And then when they came, they played, and then they they wouldn't let me give them any money. So I guess that's respect, you know. And then um, there's also the poster from that show we did um, at Bub City. We did like the well, you you were instigated that. Yeah, me and Lee Ma- Jones. You and together. you and Mayor Daly and Lee. Yeah, Jones. Yeah, we got Mayor yeah. Daly to declare it Sundowners wow. Day in Chicago. <laughs> no, that was fantastic. They, so they meant ha- and it meant so much to them. Yeah, it did. After they those were so years, happy. they were really really happy about that. Yeah, and we did it two. I know we did it two, two years two at years, Bub City. Yeah. The Mekons did it the first year. Then the Wacos had actually kind of existed the second year, yeah. and we yeah. we did it as well, but. So yeah. the museum pays tribute to them through that. So. And that's from Hatch Chopin as well, yeah, from Nashville, right. who, you know, just a fantastic historical institution as well. Yeah, we'll get so. into your work with them too. Yeah, I did. I, yeah, I mean, I've had some really good contacts with um, the Country Music Hall of Fame, which I didn't really think about ever until until I kind of got involved with them. And that's, that's an amazing institution, you know, yeah. which does a lot of really, really deep sort of work. I'll keep it linear, but um, do you want to do that? Do you want to do the sidewalks thing? As long as we're talking yeah, about it. Yeah, let's sing a song. Introduce the song about why, why it's relevant to the sundown. Well, this is one of the ones I said they had. All these, they had 600 hours of tapes that they had a tape machine backstage at the R&R Ranch, and they would, when they walked out, somebody would push the button. So they recorded loads. Like the, John said, he went through about 200 hours of the tapes to make the John Rice is great. Chicago yeah, Country. Awesome it was called Chicago Country, the album. They had a couple of albums out. Studio albums they did. They did one with Lloyd Maines, which is really beautiful. They did another one, and Robbie Folks rang a song for wrote a song for him. So they were like interested in reaching out to the, you know, what was going on in town. But the, uh, I, I really like the one we put out on Bloodshot because it's all live recordings, and you can hear people clinking glasses and cl- shouting in the background. And there's like thing. yeah, yeah, but they're, they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. hugely, they're hugely professional. It's like a field recording in the double R room. <laughs> but it's Bob and Bob's presence on the microphone is incredible. I mean, I, can't, I will not do it justice right now, but it's like they weren't like just some hacks knocking it out. They were really, really good, but they, they knew where they wanted to be and they knew they what their comfort zone was and all, all good to them. So this is Sidewalks of Chicago. These Levi's that I've been wearing have been good to me. They just won't admit they're growing old And though my shirts made contact with the gutter now and then At least it keeps my body from the cold Thank God the folks back home in Harlan County Can't see what success has done to me Would you believe the kids in Holland High School Voted me most likely to succeed Now I'm walking on the sidewalks of Chicago If I buy the bread, I can't afford the wine I'm walking on the sidewalks of Chicago Wishing I had lived some other time It wasn't there too long before I met her A man, she really swept me off my feet And 
And she stayed just long enough to make me love her. And now they're sweeping me up off the street. My mama thinks I really made the big time. She's written every day since I've been gone. But she doesn't know that 109 West Charlotte is the address of the West Side Mission home. And I'm walking on the sidewalks of Chicago. If I buy the bread, I can't afford the wine. Walking on the sidewalks of Chicago. Wishing I had lived some other time. Close Beautiful. enough. Yeah. That's for Bob Boyd, Kurt Delaney, and Don Walls. Great. My good. heroes. Very, very, very nice. Um, John Samansky, how'd you guys, how this affiliation begin? Uh, well, yeah. Um, well, uh, there was a project uh, that John was doing at the Country Music Hall of Fame, which you just mentioned. Um, and um, through that uh, connection, uh, there was a record that was going to be made with... Um, the famous producer um, Norbert Putnam was going to produce. Yeah, he was going to produce us, and um, he uh, brought in. So John brought in my friend Bethany Thomas and uh, Tony Newsom, and I was playing with Bethany quite a bit in yeah. Chicago. And um, she was there. Was one day we went to lunch. And she goes, "You know, uh, we're going to need a guitar player, I think." And so I was able to kind of work out some uh, songs that John had given Bethany, and I kind of worked out some of the guitar on it. And Basically, I'd written a bunch of pirate shanty shanties, and yeah. Bethany wanted to turn them into soul classics that could be, you know, do justice to go into Muscle Shoals to record them. Yeah, isn't that great? And she yeah. took them to John, and John, her and John worked them out, and they put yeah. some sort of groove into them that is very. What was that, what was that like? It was kind of neat because I wasn't sure if it was going to work, but you know, it was. I kind of knew the way that um, me and her had played for for a while, and so I kind of just put that sort of feel into it and you know I was a big fan of that sort of music anyway like she, she she had told me like when you know like when she had mentioned that she was going to go down to Alabama that I was the only one who like whose eyes lit up when I, when she said that and I said oh yeah <laughs> like that's an amazing trip I can't believe you're doing that she's like nobody else seems to really we went the week after <laughs> Trump got elected as well so there was yeah, kind of that. Tony was a little bit where are we going <laughs> where are we going now <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah it was a lot of fun and we just it was just like kind of like an instant mesh. Like it just sounded really good. Plus all playing together, and then we play with David, David Hood, who played on. You know, yeah, right. He's even mentioned in maybe he goes Little David now. Yeah. Little David, yeah. What's that song? Oh, you on that song as well, you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that night, Mavis sung you. Yeah, right. Yeah, that was, that was that I'll take year. you there, Dave Hookstrom. <laughs> Dave Hookstrom. You were the little David that yeah, night. Was. That was your book launch. I didn't know. Yeah, that. I couldn't believe that. It was so fantastic. Yeah. yeah, it was your your book came out. Mavis was up on stage singing, Dave Hookstra, Dave Hookstra. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, um, she's so, genius. So, yeah, just for one-on-one, tell, give us a little background on Bethany, and also it's important to talk about Norbert and even his connection with Dan Fogelberg. Oh, yeah. But, uh, I know. I just, just saw Dan Fogelberg's acoustic guitar. Norbert, remember you sit. guys were on the radio show with me with Norbert. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah came that in, was yeah. amazing. Yeah. 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 But, but tell the listeners who Bethany and Norbert are. are. 
Well, I worked with Tony uh, Newsom yeah. first of all, and then she, uh, she's. I said, "Yeah, you're really, you're a really good singer." She said, "No, no, you should hear my friend Bethany." And they came and did some backing vocals with. Uh, although she was in Skull Orchard with me, Tony, she got Bethany in to do backing vocals on some Waco Brothers stuff. I and mean, it was like the pair of them together was pretty overpowering. And they were just fun, and we got on really well. And then they said, we should make an album together, and I'd do something, you know, next thing. And then I met Norbert, and he said, you sing like a pirate, you've got to come down to Muscle Shoals and make a record. Because yeah. <laughs> pirate music is big down there. And uh, <laughs> So Bethany, yeah, she, I mean, Bethany's an actor, and Tony's, they're both both actors, and they're both quite successful, to be quite honest. I mean, Bethany mostly in musical theatre, and now... Tony's the queen of podcasts and uh, in a Star Trek animated show and she's also in uh, what's it called the other one? Um, Space Force. Yeah. yeah. So she's doing pretty well. Oh, she's pretty popular now. They're on the old TVs and the cables and all yeah. that. So, But uh, yeah, we just decided that was the time to do it. And literally went to Alabama the week after the Trump election and wandered into this studio, the Nut House, with one of the original, one of the engineers who worked originally at Fame, and then he set up his own place. I said to Norbert, "Aren't we going to Fame to record?" And he was like, "Well, we could, but it kind of smells funny." <laughs> <laughs> um, and Norbert, I mean Fogelberg, early Buffett. Who else did Norbert work? Uh, he basically claims responsibility for creating. He, forcing Jimmy Buffett to have marimbas. Yeah. Yeah. He said, come down, let's go, let's take these songs and let's go on my yacht and sail around the Gulf and then put marimbas on it and stuff. Yeah. And Jimmy Buffett was like, I don't want to do that. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to write back. Norbert created, he didn't create a parrothead genre for me, unfortunately. Those first couple of Buffett albums aren't bad. He's, you know what, he's an interesting guy. I, people people kind of slag him off, but I don't know. There's a whole thing around it I don't particularly get, but... Yeah. I, I've heard the things that Jimmy Buffett does with his money, which are pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. He sends a lot of money to the inner cities. And, you know. Yeah. And he's also big in the environment, the Everglades and all that. Yeah. yeah. He's, you know, it's cool. That people do what they do. I didn't really know much about Dan Fogelberg, but I think Nor Norbert, that was one of his more proudest things. Yeah. We were talking about that yeah. last night. Yeah. It was a it was big really, deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think he actually helped him get signed originally, too. Yeah. And yeah. So. What's this? What's it been like for you to work with John? And what's it done for your head? <laughs> Rubbish. <laughs> Dave, it's, music been, ideas. it's been awful, Dave. It's awful. The worst. Thing, yeah. it? It's terrible. It's been the worst time of my life. <laughs> it's, it, it's actually been kind of amazing. Um, just because, you know, like when, when I was growing up, I listened to anything and everything. In fact, I have a very early memory of reading the Chicago Tribune. I think this is like 89. Yeah, this is when Greg Cott reviewed Lee Khan's Rock and Roll. And I remember reading the review of that in my grandmother's house. And I'm like, oh, I want to listen to that record. And I couldn't find it because I was, you know, 10 years old. <laughs> where, where was, this, what, what, was this in Chicago? Yeah, it was in Chicago, yeah. Um, and I, I, yeah, I, would, I would spend weekends and I would read the paper. And I remember, and I'm like, this record sounds really interesting. And I didn't listen to it until I was in high school, but I, I loved it. And then um, it just I just thought it was kind of funny that, like, years later, like, our, our paths would cross that way. And Well, that was a record, another record that really got picked up in Chicago. You know, Fear and Whiskey, the first yeah. in, sort of rootsy sort of record we made. And then when Rock and Roll came out, it was a kind of, we were on a major label. And the one time where it kind of really stuck was in Chicago. And uh, I know Johnny Mars used to play 
I track Memphis, Egypt on X13. People would tell me, you were on the radio again the other night. You know, you got to get over here. And then, you know, the Beacons became basically based in Chicago. But in the 90s, we were on Touch and Go Records, who were included in the exhibition. Yeah. I know. Yeah, right. yeah. Fantastic inclusion. And that was, we had, you know, after all our battles with major labels in the music industry, we suddenly, we come to Chicago, we're in this sort of safe harbor where we feel valued and supported for 15 years before they kind of, you know, cut back. But yeah, no, I, I just felt like, you know, I'm actually playing with people, you know, like that, you know, like they have as varied of interests as I do in all sorts of genres. And I love just fitting in wherever I can and creating something neat and just making, you know, and just kind of making things, you know, I love kind of fitting in where I can. So, John's, John passed the Sally Tim's test. <laughs> what's, and what's that? She approves of him. What? She approves of oh, him. Oh, she does. Like, makes everything sound better. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get him to get John to play. It makes it all sound better. <laughs> that's what we want. <laughs> but I mean, that's what we tried to do with this. I mean, it, this is, you know, it's 3,000 square feet or whatever, but it's like all kinds of genres. It's yeah. Illinois, is, there's a lot of stuff going on here. I, I think I told you I got a, there was an email I got from somebody from Texas who came to see this, and he goes, I never knew all this stuff was happening in Illinois, and then he focused in on the Sundowners. He goes, we're going to hear more of their songs and stuff, but there's, yeah. there's just a lot of music. Well, I mean, you know, maybe you should tour. Is there a way to do that? You can keep it together and have it go to other places. I don't know that about that. This should go to Chicago, to be honest. It should, actually. Lance said it's all, it's all going to be archived forever. Yeah, like but it should. iCloud or something. It should, go to, it should go to Chicago. It should go to Chicago. Because people, there's, there's nothing in Chicago. I know. There's absolutely no proper formal recognition of anything that's happened in music. It's such a big musical town. You yeah. go go to all these other places. I mean, like I said, the Country Music Hall of Fame, even the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, you know, I know that's a national thing, but there's, Chicago's kind of pathetic on that level. You know, and we were saying that, I mean, nobody's proved this wrong. I mean, <clears throat> we were talking about this last night. This is probably the first collection of artifacts in any museum in Illinois like this from musical artifacts you know uh, uh, the Chicago History Museum's done yeah blues stuff and stuff like that and Chess has their little back room but well you got the Sundowners you got Howlin' Wolf you got Miles Davis you yeah, got Lou Crawley and his polka yeah. <laughs> amazing yeah Rick, Rick Nielsen's you know guitars it's like it's Illinois it's like <laughs> it's a country it's a big in any other continent it would be a country to itself and yeah. it would be yeah. You know. So I wanted to, um, you guys, I want to really plug this. I went out and bought it, got it a couple. So talk about, because John, you were very involved with this, mm -hmm. both, I'm both Johns, yes. but talk about the closing time and, and the Tom Waits thing, especially uh, how important it is to have this out now. Well, Greg Orley used to be like the head brewer at Goose Island and then left and formed his own cider company, Virtue Cider. Yeah, even my shop, he says Virtue Cider. Virtue Cider? He's up in Fenville, Michigan. Yeah, yeah right. He's got a cidery up there. And uh, I was one of his uh, guinea pigs when he started. He used to make ciders and make me oh, drink. I didn't them. know that. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> no, we were both, uh, we, we had kids at the same high school and me and him being, you know, kind of in the, whatever business we were in, we, we were the, always picking the kids up. <laughs> so we used to stand around and talk about stuff. And uh, when he said he was interested in cider, I'd go back over to Wales and take pictures from my, like, you know, the spa 7-Eleven shop by my mom's house and say, look, there's 28 different variants of cider on sale in this, like, corner store. And, they'd, you know, you go to a bar in Chicago, there'd be one. So he did, you know, he, he really kind of realized there was a market for making quality Good cider, and I, I've always drunk cider. I love it. And um, 
he came to me and said, I want to do something for the music community during the lockdown. I think we should re-record this, you know, put some musicians to work. You could organize it. I'd like to re pay for you to re-record Closing Time by Tom Waits. Not an album I was that familiar with. And I went away and listened Waits to first it. first album, right? Yeah, it's his first crazy. album. So what appealed to me, and I'm not sure whether, I love the title, The Closing Time. It resonated with what was going on in Chicago at the time. All the clubs were closed. All the, you know, sound men and the roadies and the bar staff were all at work. And it, the, the idea of making some money for Civil, which is, a, you know, the group that the club owners put together to lobby for, you know, some sort of money for the clubs and to keep some support for them. It just seemed like a really positive idea. And then I listened to the record and it was like, well, this isn't the Tom Waits I know. This isn't Tom the fully formed... Tom Waits that my mates used to listen to in the 80s. This is more of a kind of songwriter who's trying to find what direction he's going in. And it really lent itself to the idea of having different people singing the songs. So we kind of split the album down the middle and sent, because it was all done in isolation. So yeah. I'd had a, a nightmare bureaucratic experience trying to make a Mekons album like that, because we had an album... Uh, we were going to Spain to record an album and it got cancelled obviously with the lockdown so um, we made one in the <laughs> on our phones and sent it all around and it was just a crazy nightmare and I kind of learned a lot doing that and I worked learned oh, we could do this a lot more efficiently so me and John kind of became a pod and we had our mate Barkley Mackay who's got a beautiful grand piano in his studio in Leeds in England and uh we sent him, you do, You start six of the songs, we'll start six of the songs, and I'll start calling friends and people. That, I wanted to get a collection of people who were important to the music scene in Chicago who had come out of that Chicago independent venue scene. So people were very generous. You know, people like Andrew Bird, the Handsome Family, you know, Robbie Folks have now moved out of town, but um, also someone like Jeff Tweedy who's in town. and. Yeah. Pretty with the handsome family on here. Yeah, I, I, I snuck that on him. Yeah. I went down to New Mexico earlier this year and I gave him the, gave Brett the album from the handsome. He went, what? I was Tweety on this. <laughs> <laughs> I put him on it. And he was like, what? But the, my favorite album of theirs is, I think it's called Through the Trees. And mm -hmm. Jeff helped them a lot with that album. When they was, well, I think it was only their second or third album. It's beautiful. He sings a lot of backing vocals on that album. It's really, it's a really lovely record. So I just thought... That'll be a kind of sneak reunion, but they didn't know about it till they got it. So, <laughs> so we should do that song actually. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, because yeah. that's one of my. That's the song Greg wanted me to sing. Uh huh. He said you should sing Rosie, and I was like, and I listened to it, and I was like, I could just hear Brett from the Hanson family oh, yeah, singing right. it, and I just no, no, no. I think so. Bartley basically played the piano in lead, sent a file over to New Mexico to Albuquerque, where Brett. And his mate Alex McMahon put some steel guitar on him and Rennie sang on it. And they sent it back to me and we fiddled with it a bit and then Jeff Tweedy sang on it. And so, <clears throat> all better singers than me, unfortunately. So, here we go. Ready? One, two. two. Sitting on my windowsill, blowing my horn. Nobody's up there but the moon and me, and a lazy old tomcat 
on a midnight spree All that you left me was a melody Rosie, why do you evade? Rosie, how do I persuade? Rosie up full and big apricot tips in an indigo sky and I've loved you Rosie since the day I was born and I love you Rosie till the day I die Rosie I do you up here but the moon and me and a lazy old tomcat on a midnight spree all that you left me was a melody Rosie why do you evade Rosie how can Beautiful. I don't know what that chord was at the end. That was jazz. <laughs> it was jazz, end. yes. The closing time, and that's under the uh, the Pine Valley Cosmonauts. People looking for it. Yeah, it's and it's only really really available from Virtue. It's quite expensive. It's a lovely fat vinyl pressing yeah, by no, the Smash Plastic it. people in Chicago, a Virtue. local pressing plant. Virtue Cider, Virtue Cider. Yeah, you have to go to their website, no, Virtue Cider, and it's on their merch page. But all the money from that record is kindly donated to Civil, which is the campaign for the independent venue. No, what is it? The Chicago Independent Venue League. Yeah. yeah. I can um, never say that. <laughs> how come? Did Rosie Flores want to do that song? <laughs> no, she didn't get chosen. Rosie Flores does old 55 on here. Yeah. Now, people might know that. Yeah, Bethany oh. Thomas sings on that as yeah. well. Yeah, 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 it's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to single people out because every, every, every track is solid, but we were talking last night. Talk about Howie's track. How Gelb from... I didn't know much. I know Giant Sam, but I didn't know much. Yeah, How Gelb from Giant Sam, he recorded that down in Tucson, Arizona, and he's... Uh, 
He's just become a friend over the years. I've always loved Giant Sand. They were a band that I felt kind of mirrored some of the Mekon's interests. Uh-huh. You know, just that kind of like, we're going to do what we want and we don't care. <laughs> I like that about him. And how I think he sent sent me three takes and they were all numbered like curious things like take 87 and tape 93. <laughs> <laughs> and we listened to him, and then he sent another. No, I think this is the one. And we got like tape, take a hundred and two, and got Gene Cook to put some strings on it. And uh, there it was. That's yeah, that's a pretty, pretty, pretty interesting version of a it Tom Waits song, Martha. Yeah, um, Grapefruit Moon. We have Nora O'Connor's on here. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Playing with Nora Whitfield. <laughs> playing with Nora O'Connor tomorrow in the at the hideout oh, in yeah, Chicago. Right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we're doing a, a day for Joe Camarillo tomorrow. Wake the Waco Brothers, Hush Drops drummer. He died in January, and uh, we're just going to have a big celebration of his life because he was the best. He was. Got a couple more questions, and we're bring Terry Hammered in here. Um, I got two questions I've never asked you before. I don't think. Are they I've personal? You a million times. <laughs> <laughs> So, Pine Valley Cosmonauts, Waco Brothers, Mekons, I'm going to miss somebody, the Three Johns, uh, the Killer Shrews, Skull Orchard, the Wee Harry. Have you ever gone on stage or done something where you forgot what band you were in? Um, there's, there's blurry areas. You know, sometimes when me and Sally get up and do things, we're not quite sure what we're supposed to be doing and what we're allowed to do. And, you know, it's kind of all, I don't know. There's, there's a new band now called the John Langford and his Fancy Men. Yeah, right. I heard you uh, auditioning names for that. Which is, yeah. We yeah. just we, we, Somebody said the Gentleman Callers, and I was like, oh, Gentleman Callers is quite good. But I thought, what well, my grandmother would have said, oh, she wouldn't have said grandson. She said, oh, your auntie's got a fancy man. <laughs> <laughs> she wouldn't have said it in a Yorkshire accent, though, because she's Welsh. That's my strength. Your auntie's so, got a fancy band, man. Who's in that band? And what, where, what's well, that? it's me and uh, Dan Massey's been playing drums with me for years he used to play with Robbie Fox yeah, know, when, yeah. in his major label days and uh, we met on a plane going to South by Southwest sat, we ended up sat next to each other and we never really met and just got on really well and we said we should play together so we've always been he was always a stand in for Joe Joe had a lot of health issues over the last few years so Dan's been playing with the Waco Brothers quite a lot and he played on a Skull Orchard record back in you know the we did a lot of touring together, actually. In the, we did a weird This American Life tour, and then we did a thing called The Executioner's Last Songs, and Dan was involved in all of that. So he was the natural you know, successor for Joe. And, uh, but uh, we wanted to have a, a different band during the pandemic, and Dean's like in Milwaukee and now moving to Lafayette. And it was just really hard to get together. And it was me and John. Like I said, we'd already kind of decided we were a pod. So Dan and Alan were kind of cool to get together and we started just started writing and recording and it's been it was you know one of the, I wanted to play the 2021 was or 2020 was the year of like acoustic shows in people's back gardens and stuff like that and I just thought I need to rock out before I get too old <laughs> well you, you people have said that I mean you really stayed busy and prolific during this Pandemic, which I think during the first year of it, it was interesting to be pivoting and trying to like help like clubs to put on different things and doing live streaming and stuff like that. Uh, this year, I found much more problematic because I'm not. A lot of people just seem convinced it's over and we don't have to get vaccinated. We all wear masks and we just go back into the clubs and have a good time because we love freedom. And it's all this to me. This is like 
not comfortable. And I know a lot of musicians have got sick because they've been put in these positions yeah. of going back into full capacity clubs, and it's it's awkward. I mean, it's tough. On them. I think this year's been harder for me. This year's been harder than last year. Yeah. Last year was kind of like, all right, well, let's find ways to make something work. And then this year, it's kind of everyone's half the people think there's there's not a problem, and it's there's still a problem. So. I listen to this oldie station on satellite radio, 60s, and there's always some story about like some guy from the association on the oldies tour going in the hospital with COVID. And it's oh, always, yeah. you know, older musicians are really vulnerable to this. Yeah. You know? You're not yeah. maxed up. And, yeah. We've lost you know. people, you know, it's either, I don't know, people started off, it was a hoax, and now it's like this thing that illegal immigrants are bringing over the border. It's just kind of why this is a political issue for the right. It yeah. baffles me. Um, it's a public health issue and people... Yeah. This country is so fueled by this kind of libertarianism and this kind of me, 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 me thing that people just at the act of putting a mask on seems to terrify people. We're going to get ready to kick us out of here. I had one more question for you. Oh, no, I, I wanted, uh, Sorry, I got too political and they're shutting us down. I got two quick things. Um, Abraham Lincoln would have worn a mask <laughs> and been vaccinated. You could get one of those Abraham Lincoln. I'm going to get one before I go there. You get Abraham Lincoln. I want one, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get yeah, one of yeah, those. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to touch since we're here, and then um, could you do a song to sign us out? Yeah, what would you like? But I want—I did want to ask you, and then I'll put up my stuff together here, like we're doing. Um, talk about your real quick about your involvement in the Country Music Hall of Fame since we're in a museum here, and especially uh, we—I did well. Like, so I didn't one thing, and I didn't think you know they asked me to do a, a painting for them, and I, but that was kind of nice, and I thought I didn't really think that much more of it. I thought they thought of me as just a painter. They probably didn't know anything about what the other stuff I did. But they did, and they really wanted me to be involved because they knew about the stuff I've kind of written about country music and the positions that bands like the Waker Brothers and the Mekons have taken in relation to country music. And I was shocked at how how deep and scholarly the whole process was, and I think that exhibition um, was fantastic, the Dylan Cash and Nashville Cats. Yeah. It was beautiful, and, and it was very, this actually reminds me of it because it's like a... Sometimes museums seem very sterile, and it's kind of this almost like there's too much. But this is this has embraced the music, and there's a lot of video and imagery and stuff here. There's it's a very warm vibe. It's, yeah, you know, it really yeah. is. It's really, and that's what I thought. And I was really sad when that, the Dylan Cash and the Nashville Cast it got extended about three times, and it was the biggest exhibition they'd ever had because you had basically. Dylan people coming into the museum as well as like Johnny Cash country fans so it was kind of win-win and they used my imagery throughout the whole thing which was lovely and made me artist in residence at the Country Music Hall of Fame which was good for business Dave not <laughs> bad for business I tell you and you worked with our buddy Jim Shredden on that right yeah we I did it with Jim yeah. dearly yeah. well he's the only I'd say seriously Jim's another one of my old drinking buddies back when he drank <laughs> yeah <laughs> music was a uh, is a great collaborative art form and anyone you just put a couple of guys in a room with a guitar they'll start making music together no matter who they are they'll just want to play and uh, art is trickier but with Jim Sherrod and that's the only time I've really made visual art as a collaborative process and it was it was beautiful we had some fights we stayed up late and we shouted at each other and uh, but you know we'd be in the museum at kind of four in the morning wrestling over a giant printing machine but it was uh it was good. It was okay. So before you uh, sign off with the song, here's my second question I never asked you before, I don't think. Does um, Bob Dylan have some of your artwork on his bus? I've always heard that. Charlie Sexton, who's Bob Dylan's guitarist, commissioned uh, me to paint a little Hank Williams. And it's and 
Apparently, it's on Bob's bus, but no one oh, would know. No one would know because no one goes on Bob's bus. That's what I heard. <laughs> it's in Bob's bus, but no one. Nick Tremulous asked his bass player. He knows his, what's his bass player's name? I forget. Oh, Tony. Tony, yeah, right. Tony, right. Tony Garcia. Yeah, he said, "Do you, oh, do you see John's painting on Bob's bus?" And he would go, "How would I have seen that? I've <laughs> never been on his bus." So, I will say that we did a for that exhibition. We did an illustrated, a big, really huge print using the whole hat show press letter print press process, but kind of bending it a lot with kind of like how I like to make art. And Jim and me, you know, worked together on that. That was the collaboration. But we also had collaboration from uh, Bob Dylan. So we would send pictures of it and they would come back and say, yeah, we like this. This oh, is good. 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 And he was very, very supportive. Did you work with Jeff Rosen? Too? Yeah. yeah. It was That's Jeff. Great. Jeff would say, yeah, we... Jeff's always been the supporter. Well, Jeff would say we. Things. We'd say, who's he referring to with, if it's we? Yeah. It must be Bob. But yeah. Bob also went, came down to the exhibition one day and just sort of had a little private tour with his hoodie pulled up and wandered around. Bob's a great guy. Have yeah. you ever met him? I've never met him. Uh, no. We interviewed him for the Staples talk. Oh, uh, right. Just, you know, he wants to be an average guy. He really does. Well, he's he's definitely not average. <laughs> 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 he might be a lot of things. Yeah. I just love I just love the fact that he's however old he is and he's still confusing people yeah, right. still yeah, there's yeah, yeah. he can't do anything without they're, con, they're being controversial yeah. and people say he can't sing anymore and it's like oh you should hear that, that he can sing that new box he set. just sings how he wants to sing that box set of his 80 to 85 stuff is really good yeah, yeah. I'm curious about that oh it's really he does Sweet Caroline Really, Sweet Caroline? Yeah, I wish there's a lot of weird covers on it, but that was an interesting period. Tight connection to my. I heart. saw him just before the pandemic, and he played down at UIC. Or yeah, something. I was at that show. I thought it was one of the best, yeah. the best shows I've ever seen him do. One of my favorite shows ever. He did "Girl from the North Country," yeah, right. which is the song we illustrated. Yeah, me right. and Jim Sheridan, and they did a totally different version of that song. Took it into like it was almost like an old Irish folk song or something. It was just absolutely brilliant, and you know. I love you guys. Thanks for coming down. Oh, thank you. Thanks for... Uh, what should we play? Where were we at last night? The Irish... What's that place called? The Irish Mist? The Celtic Mist. Celtic Mist. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Uh, introduce the song and uh, sign us out. Okay, we could do a song. This is for all the... We were talking about Charlie Watts earlier and people like that. This is for all the rock stars who've recently left the planet. Um, uh, please work, work, tell us where you've, where you've gone and send messages of hope back to us. Oh, that's plenty tough you and you made. One, two, three. railway station They look so beautiful while they wait They all rush by me on the platform To find the train that's always late I know everyone in this airport lounge Got all their records and I know their names Worried they won't make their connection 
waiting in line for the funeral plane. Hey, rock star, where are you going today? Why are you leaving? Why are you going away? When will you come back again? When will you come back to stay? Take me with you, carry me away. Hey! I know every song in this dirty city. Like a tide on the radio waves I love every song on that gospel station I just wished I had a soul to save Well everyone just gotta keep moving When you stop that's when you die Like the shark that must keep swimming Shine like stars up in the sky I know every one of this punk rock disco Cause we're still dancing to Brian and Dave I got my Iggy Glam Pop rhythm Taking it with me to my grave Hey rock star, where are you going today? Why are you leaving? Why are you going away? When will you come back again? When will you come back to stay? Take me with you, carry me away. Oh, hey, rock star. Hey, rock star. Hey, rock star. Hey, rock star. Sound Podcast, produced by the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. To hear other episodes and more information about the exhibit, The State of Sound, A World of Music from Illinois, visit musicfromillinois.com.